My alarm's on. Hi. We're live. Hey, We're what's live. up? <laughs> like, I feel like so lackluster right now. I feel like we haven't had a day off in like weeks. I know. Weeks. I know. I'm, I'm pulling, I'm, I'm pulling out the reserve energy. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I'm doing too. <clears throat> I even ha- haven't even had a cup of coffee today. What? This, this will be my first cup right here that I have brewed just for the show. Is that a coffee um, cup? That looks like a wine glass. Are you sure there's coffee in there? It is a tumbler that, so it just keeps the coffee hot. It's a steel okay. tumbler though. Okay. <laughs> it's wine, you guys. I was going to say, what's up next? What's uh, up, tell man? us tell us if you're here because you know our numbers don't reflect uh, as, as much as they should. So let us know you're here. Where's your cousin, Ben? Is he here? Like, where is he? Oh, so they, um, it was my, um, my cousin's anniversary. It was uh, her birthday. And so they went to Honduras and Mexico. And so, um, so that's where they've been. I'm fairly certain they have the internet in Honduras. I know. <laughs> well, hopefully he'll jump in Excuse here. And me. He can... You should have brought us to your anniversary, sir. I know. Um, I would love to. And I, 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 you know, I don't know if, um, if my cousin, his wife, so my, his wife is my cousin, cousin. And so he's my cousin by marriage. Right. Um, but um, like, I'm like, what? I don't even know if if wife cousin uh, listens to this show. I just know he's know, here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, she should. She should. I would up, love Kel? it if she did. So, um, thanks for joining me over here, Kelly. Uh, was over on my uh, TikTok. You guys I go live when they don't cut me off. I go live on TikTok before the show, like an hour before the show. So come hang out with me on my TikTok and uh chit chat with me while i get ready for the show as long as they don't cut me off which they have for like the stupidest reasons the torch lighter is the dumbest one i can't i don't what do i i just don't understand that either i mean in regard to sounds and creme brulee y'all is all i'm gonna say dessert i could be making dessert y'all don't know tiktok and also you don't know what's in here you don't I mean, you can, you can assume based on who I am, but that's an assumption, not knowledge. So like one time somebody came into my live and was like, you smoking on those cancer sticks. And I was like, sure. Not going to debate you on that, sir. Not live on TikTok. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. You coming into my comments, making baseless comment about nothing. So thank you. I was not affecting (laughs) you at all in the least. You will not mourn me when I'm gone. It's fine. Um, I'm just posting our uh, posting on our last minute. There you are. We were just asking where the hell you've been. (laughs) They don't have the internet in Mexico. What do you mean? Is that where where you said you said he was in Mexico, right? Mexico, yeah. Um. I was like, did I get that wrong? (laughs) Fucked it up. Um. Um. So, yeah, let me do the trigger warning. There's enough of you in here to do it uh, because we do want to talk about some current affairs bullshit. <sighs> God. Anyway, so what's up, y'all? I'm sorry. I apologize for being a little lackluster today. We have not had a day off in weeks. That's our own fault. We make our own schedules for the most part. Uh, but here we are. Anyways, so 
It is about that time. You are about to get highly educated with the Cannabis Closet Podcast with Canna Queen. That's me and MJ. That's her. Uh, this is an adult content show with no limitations on subject language or actions. Opinions, views, and expressions may or may not be that of the hosts, their guests, and subsidiaries. If you are not sure, don't worry. We will tell you or maybe our faces will first. Uh, it's time to get this session started. So thanks for rolling up and showing up and we hope you enjoy the show. We have an amazing guest today too. I know. I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, so we want to trigger warning everybody now. It's going to get fucking sensitive in here. But um, what the fuck, America? What? Y'all, y'all, just, y'all just get released back out into the wild and start acting like fucking heathens? Or what the fuck? I mean, like what? I love that. I love that. Hey, listen, forgiven, forgiven. That answer is all I needed to hear. Forgiven. I know. I know. And she's forgiven. Forgiven. He says, I spent all of my time with my beautiful queen. Listen, I'm not going to fault you for that. That is beautiful. (laughs) That is all we ask. She's 18. She's 18 days older than me. I was about to say she's 18. Hold on. No, no, no. 18 <laughs> days older than me. We're, we're the same age. Okay. We're the same age. Okay. Um, <laughs> her, I didn't even know. Her birthday was the other day. And that's Happy, birthday, Queen. Queen. Happy birthday, Queen. Happy birthday. Cousin. Um, um, hey, so what the fuck's going on in this country? Again. What? I don't... Like, I, I feel like, like today has been for me, like such a, like an energy suck. I just can't take another thing. Like even things that aren't directly affecting me, I feel like are, are affecting me. And what are you doing over there? Me, I'm uh, just posting on our, uh, on our. Oh, you're socials. not hearing a, a word I'm saying. <laughs> no, I heard you. You're, oh, yes. yes. You're not. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm hearing you. Like, I'm hearing I'm like, you. Am I just oh, talking wait. out loud? No, so. I, I, I'm <laughs> talking to the peoples. Okay, let me just. Uh, yeah. Um, get this on I don't know. I don't know how to. I can't watch the news. Right. But it's all over every feed because I am on social media, which also sucks right now. You know, I honestly, I haven't been on it that much and I haven't been in areas where there's like TVs or anything Mm -hmm. playing to know that there are. So I kind of, I saw someone's post about Brooklyn. I saw, you know, and then. um, That one's, I feel like like they're they're all horrible, but there's some shit coming out of Brooklyn that I'm just like really. Or, yeah. No, it's Buff. It was Buffalo, right? You guys, it was Buffalo, New York. I, okay, Buffalo. Well, again, I it was someone's post, and it was like it yeah. wasn't even. I wasn't even sure if it was pertaining to something current or something that would, had already you know, been passed, or you know. So I was a little confused, and then it was confirmed that what you know, um, um, that again, senseless violence has happened. It's not senseless violence, though. There's a couple problems that I have with. Uh, with what's going on, I had this conversation the other day. It got a little heated. We had to end it, but, um, but literally, uh, white supremacy is is a cancer in this country, and it is one of the biggest forms of terrorism in this country. One of the biggest forms of terrorism that we don't always label as a white supremacist act, 
done by white suprem- people who follow white supremacy policies or, or policies, uh, uh, talking points, uh, I don't know. Um, but like the system is built on that whole, that, that whole idea, ideology. That's where the system came from. And the, and the, and the fact, and like, it brings up a lot of, it, it brings up not questions, but like criticisms of people who seemingly cannot handle unarmed black men, but can handle fully armed white men without putting a scratch on their head. They take them out to eat. Uh, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can just heartlessly take innocent lives. These people, these people were grocery shopping. This man targeted only black people in that store as a matter of fact he apologized to a white guy for almost shooting him it's like what i don't i like like i don't i do understand it's because of who runs the country but like literally like people wrap your head around it that it is a threat and it's it's a hidden threat but it's also an exposed threat you know what i'm saying like we see it happening but then we can deny that that's what runs the system. You know what I'm saying? Right. Actually, um, I, before we get into this, actually, I do actually want to just bring our guest in. Can we just bring our guest in? Yeah, I she feel like she. Yeah, I feel us? like she's got a lot of yeah, uh, yeah. input on this on on parts of this as well. And and yeah, let's. Go um, I feel like yeah, I feel like a little bit. This is is in an alley. So I just want to I want to bring our guest in. Um, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself because your bio is so damn impressive. But then I want to get back into the subject. So if you don't mind introducing yourself to our audience, um, sure. and tell us just. Yeah, a little snippet about you. Uh, so thank you guys for having me today. And I, I have a lot to say about the white supremacy stuff. I mean, like, it's just twisted. But uh, my name is Charlena Berry. I'm author um, of a book called Breaking the Stigma, Lies, Racism, the Opioid Endemic, and Inviting Grandma to the Dispensary. Um, I'm chief operating officer of a chain of retail stores in California called The Cake House. Uh, okay. We've got four stores in Southern California. And then I, uh, I run a consulting company called cannabis business growth that I opened six years ago. And we specialize in cannabis licensing. Nice. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I want to get into all of those Uh things. Um, (laughs) um, so, so what we were talking about is, um, the shooting there's been, uh, three to four, uh, shootings. I saw something that said there were three but i don't know if it included buffalo um so so uh three to four uh mass shootings that we know about that have been like nationally reported uh in just this just this past week just like recent like in day, days of each other mm-hmm. um the one in buffalo is particularly maddening because um I mean, it was it was fully a hate crime. People were targeted because of the color of their skin in their own damn neighborhood. Like, why you didn't even have to come here? Like, why why did you even? You know what I'm he saying? was he was 200 miles from home. Like, like he drove 200 miles to sounds familiar. To do that sounds like, familiar. So fucked up. <clears throat> sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Sounds like something that happened. Um, you know, during uh, Black Lives Matter protest. Uh, sounds like. 
oh, and another white kid with a long arm that like, let's let's I mean, you can feel how you want to feel. I'm going to tell you guys straight. I'm a progressive. And also, I agree that our Second Amendment rights have value and matter. I also believe that we need some fucking reform across the nation, not state by state, but across the nation. It has to be nationally, because when you have Mm -hmm. gun reform in one state, but the other state next door to it doesn't have as strict gun reform, then you're going to that it's just going to cross state lines. And and then people are like, "Eh." and we all know that criminals. Yeah, you can. uh, Criminals are going to get guns anyway. Great. Yeah. for real. Great. Um, that's not a majority of the population is not a criminal. So majority of population is not going to get their hands on a firearm illegally. Um, and that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Um, so the, like, like I just, I, there's so much to unpack here. I don't even know where to start. Where should we start? Should we start with the fact that he, um, drove 200 miles from home. Should we start with the fact that, yeah, he had a legally owned firearm from what I understand, but like he used it, a, a, a weapon that is, that is made and you, I mean, you, Oh, it's fun to shoot. Great. Um, good for you. That gun is made to kill people. That gun is made to take into a war zone and to defend yourself in a situation like that. Yeah. That gun is not like personal defense gun. Okay. And I just like, and then clearly uh, he had a manifesto. Uh, He was very clear on his stance on white supremacy and he followed a lot of the organizations, groups, people, et cetera. Um, You know, I, um, I'm with you that I'm progressive, right? Like I'm a single woman. I have a child here. I keep weapons in my bedroom, right? Mm -hmm. Just like straight up. I also live five miles from Parkland and my daughter is 14 years old and she goes to school in classes with kids that were at Parkland. Um, Her high school on Friday had a, that she's going to next year, had a driver drive through the school. Um, not that was not terrorist related that actually was mental health related and i think ended up unfortunate however we can get into that whole conversation too right well you know like it's a bummer because you know the the person that drove in got shot right Mm -hmm. i feel horrible for him he didn't have a weapon um but the you know his vehicle i guess maybe as a weapon so it well here in florida we're so scared right i mean like i parkland like you know, the day that Parkland happened, like, you know, in my live stream and Facebook, it was the parents looking for their kids in the reshares. And, mm. you know, like, and I just got goosebumps because I think of like, you know, I can tell you about Coach Feist getting shot because I've heard the stories from people that were standing next to Coach when Coach got shot, yeah. you know. Um, and so I, I see the mass shootings in – I don't understand what creates that mentality to make a mass shooter a hero, right? Because there's like this group of men that somehow they idolize each other and then they have this fantasy that they're going to kill 
the most people ever right and i like i want to know like where that club is like do they talk to each other do they have on the dark web a podcast where they get on there and i they mean keep- i feel like that's not far-fetched that's I, not, it's not and it's not even dark web it's 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 yeah. you know it's probably just a little tree email that they are part you know it starts off with oh i know this person and oh let's and, and then the you know, and yes, the dark web too. Like it, it does exist, and there's a reason but for it. But they do it. a lot of this shit out in the open. But this stuff is out in the open. These yeah. video people, uh, you know, um, and the whole like we were talking. Not that anyone accepts it, but it still continues to happen. These, yeah, you know, oh, it's okay. It's okay that it, you know it's not okay, but we're gonna just say it's okay because we're we're gonna keep moving forward, right? Yeah, like we can't changes. talk about it because it's t- it's too sensitive of a time. It's too soon to talk about it, and then when when it's not too soon to talk about it, oh, it's in the past, right? Like there's no good time to talk about this. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about the fact that this kid went into a neighborhood that was not his own specifically to kill black people. Like, Mm -hmm. specifically on a mission to kill Black people. And why didn't he have something better to do with this time? Like, like, how is that that that's what you want to do with your day? I ask this question every day. Like, I I don't know. When I wake up in the morning, like, not one time did I think think about going to want to kill somebody. It didn't even cross my mind. But, like, how, how is that, like... How is it something that you fantasize about? Put a fucking plan behind it and then do it. Like, I, I-, I wish we had a man on the show today because I really do feel I like I I feel like a this is not a, a listen. Women girls have committed these atrocities as well, but we can say above over and above white cis men are doing these things. A, a majority a majority white Fact. cis men and like why why are you mad like why like big <laughs> mad you big mad right now like gun i mean mad. i feel like we joke about you know, not when we don't joke about it but you know when we say you know uh therapy uh, or oh, just please. expression of you yes. know that we were raised in this you know and our parents were raised in the in the the time periods and and uh in in the ways of like you know, we don't talk about things and uh, we just, you know, and, and so now with, I think the expansion of social media and access to information and, you know, where, again, where this dark web and people come, you know, like this, it is become, it just, so it gets put it, you know, the, the TV shows we watch, the, you know, the books, the content, everything is geared to just accepting it or just being like, it's an everyday oh, kind of thing. Though. So your question it about an like, everyday thing in America, by the way, everybody, just because you didn't hear about it because it didn't become national news doesn't mean it's not happening. This is happening in America almost every day, almost every day in some way and in, in some number or another, you mm-hmm. know, and um, so the question of why, why is it, you know, who wakes up and does this? Why aren't things being done or what, what is, why does a, uh, do kids or even adults come up with uh, these things to do? What don't they have something better to like, do? Like, well, but, but, so, why is listen. it also like a, a specific, almost, almost exclusively, not quite exclusively, but almost exclusively a club of white cis men? Right. So like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get at a point here in terms of like out here up in the mountains recently, some high schoolers are now um, being prosecuted because 
they decided it was going to be fun to catch a live animal and flush it down the toilet while it was alive. Oh, no. And the community question, the community question is why was it, why, why, why did they do it? Why were they not, um, uh, you know, there's a million things to do up here in the mountains. Why weren't, why is this their go-to? Why, and, and then the discussion, that's where the discussion of mental health should come into play. Uh, yes, education of, you know what, this is bad. But again, looking at the psychological aspect of what is drawing, uh, you know, these people to do these things, is it a cry? You know, what are, what are their cries and why? Yeah, because is violence their answer? Yeah, because we all have meant listen, if you were raised in as a child in the 80s and a teenager in the 90s or somewhere in that vicinity of your age group in those places, you should be in therapy right now, like literally. And so also should your parents. I mean, literally, like, but 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 it was fun. Yeah, but but having having I loved it back then too. But but having said that, having said that, we we all need therapy, whether we're in therapy or not. Women who are not in therapy, who have anger issues, are not committing mass shootings at this clip. Like 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 I don't like I don't like I, I, what is it? I mean, obviously we're different gender, right? But. If it was a, if it was purely like a mental health thing, if it was purely like uh, you didn't have anything better to do, if it was pure, then women would do it too. I have like a crazy theory on it, and it might Let's be crazy. It, it might not. Like crazy theories. Right. So back in the day, right, there used to be war all the time, right? Mm, like there was always a is. war. <laughs> There, there is a war right now, but it's yep. by far less common, right? And up until well, I our think most it's recent- not as reported. I think I think we don't like we're at war all the time. Like we haven't stopped being at war since World well, War II, actually. But I understand what you're saying. We started these wars. We started these wars back then that are still continuing. The like, and we just called them different things. So we had a whole like decade of like. Free, like freedom causes and shit, right? In the 90s, yeah, 80s well, and 90s. If you go back into like 1800s, right? Civil War, right? It's been a long time since American men have had a war on U.S. soil. On soil very yeah. specifically on our soil, right? Mm-hmm. There, you could go overseas if you've got kahunas yeah. to make it through the program and, and fight there. But then even before that, like there was, you know, Civil War, Revolutionary War. There was always some sort right. of war. On well, our land. You, If you were a man, right, and you had this desire to go kill people, there was like a mechanism to go do that. Yeah. Right? Like you just you just went to war, right? And you and anybody got into the army back then, it wasn't like boot camp or you know, anything along those lines. It was like, well, if you wanted to go to war, you had to go to war because everybody was at war and you had to kill people, and it was just part of what happened. You didn't even even have to be an adult if you could carry a gun. (laughs) Like that was it. there was always a way to get that shit out of people's system and there was an acceptable place for it. Right. And so if it's like this big, bad genetic thing with men, right now, it's really hard to get into war, right? Like you got to fly to Ukraine, you have to go to, you know, through boot camp or, you know, for the most part, we're not really in a war. Right. 
I would say that black people aren't out there shooting white people because there's war on the streets, right? With poverty. And so they've got their own thing to fight where they're not just looking for a reason to kill for no reason. And, you know, maybe it's genetic, maybe it's not, I don't know. Our history never, and and in our history, generally speaking, never have because Mm -hmm. that uh, they've always been the the victim victim basically of, yeah. Of the, of the violent white man. Of, well, in, in the, you know, you go back even further, 1600s, 1500s, 1400s, right? Like, you had some sick motherfuckers then, you mm-hmm. know, like between the, the, you know, with what they we've done to the Indians, what we've done to freaking, you know, the indigenous people here. Um, I, I mean, like, there's just been hundreds of years of some really, really awful things. And mm-hmm. now, and that was acceptable because there was, it was in war. Right. And now there's not a war, but you might, you know, and maybe there's, I don't know. I'd be curious someday if somebody did like a study on the genetics to say, if some of these guys were, you know, the godson of some crazy, you know, terrorist that fought in the revolutionary war. Back into this space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's off the wall, but like, I always think of it like that is like, it has to, so it has to come somewhere. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. So let's talk about generational trauma, actually. So when we talk mm-hmm. about generational trauma, we, we talk about it in terms of um, uh, black and brown communities, uh, you know, coming coming from a lineage of enslaved people, uh, Jim Crow laws segregation et cetera et cetera and 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 the and these and these um realities in our american history um actually create um this generational trauma which equals things like in the 80s they have these whole campaigns about absent fathers who are all black guys you know like they're all black fathers not white fathers like my dad like my daddy was around like no he wasn't (laughs) y'all no he wasn't but it was all like attributed to black and brown communities, right? And then poor communities uh, secondarily. Uh, but, but when we talk about it, that's how we talk about generational trauma. Let's talk about it as uh, from the point of view of, of white men then. Uh, if, if we can say that trauma that that things that are happening today are a result of trauma that happened throughout generations and then these are the things that we were taught and this is how we got to this place right then we could also make that reference to the white man right Mm -hmm. generationally uh first of all uh white men came to this country and killed the natives here and uh, those who did not die from the from the ridiculous things that they did um, and the diseases that they brought over, those who did not die were required to assimilate. We stole land from them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on. The list goes on. Right. That caused generational trauma within Native communities also because families, uh, uh, their children were taken from them and sent into boarding schools. Uh, they were put on these diets uh, that they received, uh, you know, funding and food from from the government. But it was all this packaged bullshit. And then we could get into what that caused, too. Right. Um, Non-nutritionist. Yeah, exactly. And then we yep. and then so then the white man also has brought over enslaved people. Right. Causing their generational trauma from that point. Right. Um, 
And then uh, once they were like, oh, you can't keep human beings as cattle um, and you can't um, you can't uh, you can't eradicate an entire race of people. Then they were like, oh, well, here's this policy and this policy. Right. But so now they're mad. So now we're at a point where they're the white man's actually kind of losing his footing, right? That shit's not mm-hmm. working anymore. That shit's not acceptable anymore. Um, they don't know how to behave when they're not in power, when they don't have control of things, right? When they don't get to abuse other people and then be like, oh, we're friends and mm-hmm. or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, we're trying to and, help you. We're nice. Right, right. So then so then where <laughs> do they turn to their old to their old uh, go-to's? which, you know, worked to keep them in power in the past, but are not going to work to necessarily keep them in, in the place where they've been for, for so long. I don't know. Maybe there's like a, maybe we're looking at future trauma for the white man because he's about to lose all of his footing. Right. And I mean, that, that in itself is, you know, upsetting to those that are losing their ground, you know, and those that have been taught that that's their, their, their right or their entitlement, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, we when we talk about our, our old, uh, senators (laughs) and congressmen, um, and the, the older generation that are still controlling our country, you know, um, Shit, I just took my. Let me ask y'all a question on that. Do y'all want your grandma in control of this country? Because that's actually literally what's happening right now. Anybody that's your grandma's age is retired right now. It's what's expected in the real world. Why are our politicians grandmas? Like, why? Why? Mm-hmm. I'm talking to the Gen Xers Perm and limits. the millennials here, okay? I'm Perm not talking to Gen Z. And, uh, you know, yeah. and, and not, you know, okay, we're in maybe not socialized medicine for them, but not for everybody else. I don't know. <laughs> just, just a thought. Um, that was a little yeah, evil. Yeah, the same, the same. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, because well, like, she's got a point, right? No, she's got a point, though, right? The same people that keep socialized off. medicine away from us are the ones who are benefiting from it. And that's why they're still walking around here half demented and most like they don't even know what real world looks like right now they're still basing their opinions on what the workforce looked like when they were our age when they were in their 30s and 40s they're in their 70s and 80s some of them in their 90s y'all this should not be happening it should not i i that is not the kind of person i want making decisions about my world but there's no term limits, you know, like, yeah, come on, not my get out of office. like an age limit, too, to being um, the leader of the free world. I, I just, there should be like a cutoff, like, okay, like, I get it. You're still lucid at 65, but we're going to have to like limit it there. Like, if you 65, don't even run. You can't even, you know what I'm saying? Like. Cause they're not all going to be like Bernie Sanders. I'm just saying they're going to be like Joe Biden or, and you know what I'm saying? I just, yeah. When we talk about losing, you know, the possibility of uh, age related illnesses and things happening, uh, you know, it usually happens to, you know, like the, the, you know, older people that are older. I mean, let's be real. We know this, right. I'm not being ageist. I'm not. Um, we aren't. I get it. And you know what? Like, like, literally y'all have to work because of the things that your generation did to the economy and to, to what. 
And that's because the thing too, the, is they're still grasping at that, right? We're still like living, still living in that world of where the brand name is king, but now it's all, you know, we've, and we've wiped out or, you know, essentially tried to wipe out small businesses and mom and pop shops and, you know, in every single aspect, you were looking at it in the cannabis industry and, and seeing how you mom and pop businesses and individuals and people standing up for the right of this plant and, you know, to be continually beaten down for big business just to come in out of nowhere, you know, at 10 years later, 12 years later and be like, we've got the money and we're going to take over and uh, screw all y'all for doing this. And we're going to remember John Boehner. Y'all remember John Boehner? Isn't that his mm -hmm. name, Boehner? John Boehner, he was the Speaker of the House. And then when he got out of politics, and he did everything to keep us from legalizing cannabis. And then when he got out of politics, what did he do? Invested. He went, invested in the cannabis business. Are mm -hmm. you kidding me right now, sir? Are you joking me right now? Oh, you've got to be joking me right now. Right. Like <clears throat> your policy sent people to prison for this. You've got to be joking me right now. But like, I literally, like, I don't want to work at 70. I don't want to be working. If I, if I still, you know, if I'm still in this game, like I'm a, I'm a hustler. So I might still be in this game, but I want to be hustling from my couch with a blunt in my mouth. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, <laughs> like, like, I'm not trying to like, I don't understand. It's first of all, our parents, our baby boomer parents were taught that hard work equals, uh, equals value for them. So they are valued by their hard work. And we were like, fuck the man. Right. And so we were like, whatever. And we didn't want to work for the man. We ended up working for him anyway, because of our apathy. But the point is, is that you don't have to work yourself to death. And our parents should not be running the country right now. Look at your mom and dad. If you're a Gen X or a millennial, look at your mom and dad and please explain to me why they should be running the country right now. Right, right. And, you know, I do have a handful of friends that have really cool parents, but cool or not, year, but not, cool you know, not. like, should they be running? Maybe there's their parents, progressive ones, but like, I'm just saying parents, like, like we're making pies between family and shit and like taking vacations, road trips and shit at their age. That's what their parents were doing. Like following your, why aren't you doing the retirement thing? Isn't that the dream? Isn't that what everybody wants to do at the end? of the day is like relax your parents got to relax and then you just turned out to be like these massive workhorses who never stopped and then ruined our whole fucking economy because by the way you should not be working at mcdonald's and stop greeting me at walmart that's not your job those are teenagers jobs like literally like Anyways, but 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 because your parents are running the country gen x and millennials then, then your parents are greeting us at the Walmart entryway and asking us are. for our receipts so I could cuss them out and be like, y'all don't own me. <laughs> I don't cuss them out. I don't yell at people, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they don't have a right to check your receipt at Walmart. It's not a, it's not a membership club. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> Back to the original where we got kind of off track a little bit, but we were talking about what happened in Buffalo. So so white kid goes in, targets, uh, specifically targets black people, has a manifesto, has been putting this stuff online, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I feel like somebody knew about him already. Um, you, you just can't go on and on without being noticed. Somebody said something to somebody about this guy, but also <laughs> arrested without incident. Not a scratch on this kid's body. 
Um, a lot of times when we talk about when an unarmed black man gets shot and killed by the police, that we need police reform. We need to educate them on how to handle people. We need to do this and that. Clearly, they know how to handle people. They know how to de-escalate a situation and they know how to take an armed man into custody without incident. Mm -hmm. So then can we just call it what it is? Uh, this is awful. I'm sorry. I'm reading the article as you're. Can we call? Uh, yeah. Like literally he went, he like saw, he apologized to a white guy. He almost shot. He was specifically targeting black people. And, and man, I read some of the bios and, and if you have that article up with the names of the individuals, I would love to share those before the end of the show. But man, I read some of the bios and let me tell you these individuals regardless of this did not deserve to die grocery shopping but these individuals that he murdered heartlessly were doing amazing things in their communities they were helping other people they were they were such generous souls with their time with their money with their resources and it's this so useless human being, this useless excuse for a human being walked in and extinguished that light from this earth. Mm -hmm. And that is horrible. That is something that we cannot stop talking about because every time we stop talking about it, people think that then they can just ignore it and not make the things happen that need to happen. We need nationwide gun control. I'm sorry if you don't like hearing me say that, but we need policies nationally and 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 this should be charged as a hate crime and as terrorism this is mm -hmm. terrorism you can't mm -hmm. go grocery shopping you can't go to the movies you can't go to a concert mm -hmm. you can't you can't like what are you talking about that is terrorism when you can't go out into public and feel completely safe because the entire country has some form of ptsd about this mm-hmm when the Vegas shooting happened, I was traveling a lot and I happened to have been going to Vegas a few months later. My husband made me carry a new backpack with plates in them so that hopefully if there was a mass shooting, hopefully I get hit with a handgun if I get a, a, a bullet from a handgun as opposed to one of those long arms, which would have penetrated anything I had. <clears throat> but hopefully I get lucky and not get hit. But if I did get hit or if I was in a situation, like that's where we were. He was sending me out with Kevlar. I was in Vegas for MJ BizCon actually, that's right after the, that's what was. the stadium was still up. Do you recall that? The, mm -hmm. they hadn't taken the crime scene down. And I remember talking to the Uber drivers who were all saying that people just got in their car with bloody feet and ran. And like, I mean, those stories were just freaking horrid hearing about that. Like it, and we it, hear about it on the, this is a regular <laughs> thing. This is a regular thing. White terrorism is a regular thing. Yes. That, like that. I'm just going to say it. You don't have to like it. You could argue with me about it. We could have the discussion about it. But like, look at what's happening in this country. And mm -hmm. like the second, the second the walls come down a little bit and people start getting out into public, we were right back. We didn't have 
nearly, I mean, our, the amount of mass shootings went down drastically when nobody was leaving their house, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was such a peaceful time, even though it was such a, such a traumatic time in, a, in, our, in our history of two years of just being in our house and no mass shootings. So we were going crazy inside, but we weren't hearing about mass shootings on a, on a weekly or a monthly basis. No, the whole mask conversation took over that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't get me. We started. did have George Floyd in there, though, right? I yes, mean, we did have those things. Those, the yeah, the cops BLM. were still doing the things, mm-hmm. but like as far as like there was no mass shootings though. Mass, yeah, exactly. The cops were still doing the cop thing. The cops yeah. were still doing the cop thing. If you're a good cop, then I need you to start speaking up. You might lose your job. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but but if you're a good cop, prove it. Is all I'm saying. Uh, I believe you. I want to believe you. I want to believe that they're that you're out there. But like literally, y'all got to ban. Y'all say there's more good cops than bad cops. I mean, I just want you to prove it. And here's how you prove it: you band together. You don't just send one single person into the fight. Then they get fired, right? And then the next person gets fired. Then what? They're gonna like the entire police force? Sure, I'll take it and fire the entire police force. Then let's start over. I, I, you know, police I, academy, I, y'all. Police academy. I, um, <laughs> I have to say, I think that it's different in schools of instruction, you know, because like I have to believe that there are some amazing PDs out there that teach good things. Right. And I think I think of George Floyd. Right. And I'm from my home. I'm from Michigan. And when the BLM protest started in Flint, Michigan. Right. Which is one of the like worst areas in Flint. The sheriff showed up, you know, they 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 stood there and then the protest got there and they're like. He's like, they're like, we're mad. He's like, I'm mad too. They're like, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, join us. And so, you know, to me, there's like pockets that I like to, yeah. you know, I like to be an optimist and hopeful. And I like, I look I at that, be, in but... Flint, you know, and I just, I can't, I, I also, you know, I don't know if it was in Flint. I'm not going to speak to the area that was in, but there were police chiefs and police officers doing exactly what you said uh and then turning around and their force was macing people and uh and 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 shooting rubber bullets at people who were protesting peacefully so like they they're one on one hand doing like a a news grab right because the news cameras come out and they're like the police chief is standing with the people right and then on the next hand his force, the police chief's force, is attacking those same protesters that they were just standing with and getting their photo ops with earlier. I'm not going to speak to the area because I would definitely have to look that story up, but I have definitely seen those stories happening. So I I just want to say that if you are a good cop, I believe that you exist. You got it. Honestly, showing up to the protest is not what you need to do. I would say Showing up to protest is the last thing you need to do because a lot of people there don't trust you. Uh, I would say that you need to start speaking out against your own, holding your own accountable, and uh, and 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 y'all need to form a group yourselves to hold the bad ones accountable, get them out because they're making you look bad. They're making you look bad, and all the photo ops in the world are not going to make you look better when things like George Floyd happen on a regular basis. Um, like literally, 
when 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 police forces across America are, are, are killing people who are sleeping in their houses. Like, what are you talking about right now? Like, I just if, if you're out there, then be out there and be out. And, and, when, and I, I know this is a big ask. This is a big ask. But you got to risk it all. If you actually care about the people, you got to risk it all. Uh, you know, and then that's why you know, also that those, uh, yes, those, those uh, officers that have committed those crimes should also be held accountable. Then, Absolutely. you know, then and we're talking not. about the, the system justice system build. not right. doing their part. Right. The justice system uh, just being, you know, oh, well, they're, they're, they're yeah, because who is it run by? Yeah, because exactly. who is this run by? It's a white, yeah. it's built on white supremacy. It's so built not- on those, those ideal ideology, that ideology. So not to like bring in my book, but this is kind of a good segue because I talk about it um, in my book, you know, so when I wrote this book, um, I was really pissed is the best way to put it is, you know, I had this little fire burning inside me. It dawned on me that, you know, we've been lied to for all these fucking years. And it was like, I had to get it out of my system. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really you know, when I started researching cannabis prohibition, right, it's, you know, you, you come up with the gore files, right? Do you guys, how much do you guys know about the gore files? I do not know a, a lot about the gore files. And I'm sure that our audience knows probably a little less, most likely. Okay. Does anybody in our audience know anything about the gore files? You can comment in the comment section, but go ahead. Oh, I'll, I'll let you. So if we go back to the 1930s, right, we have this dude called Harry Anslinger, and he dude. he's a dick. I hate that guy. Like oh. he, He's long dead, can't stand him. He was known as a crazy racist back then, right? Totally. He ran the FBN, which is Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Well, that was before it's the DEA, right? That was way before DEA it was, was even... But it, the, it like, yeah, it, it's the FBI is what it became. Okay. So Mr. Anslinger got together with a dude named William Hurst, right? Right. William mm-hmm. Hurst ran the newspaper companies, right? Yep. And he had investment in paper made of wood. Okay. Those two fuckers got together and basically published 200 articles called the Gore yep. Files. Yep. Okay. And I do know. It's reefer madness, right? Yes, it is. Well, all of those, so of the 200 gore files, 199 of them were proven not true. One was proven they can't, there's just not enough evidence. Um, when some of these are, and they're so fucked up when you go read them, they're like a darkie with a hemp cigarette went in yeah. with an axe and raped the whole family. That darkie with a hemp cigarette you know, was eyeballing the 15 year old girl and gave her syphilis. Like, like truly like crazy, obscene, bizarre. Like, like how could you even make it up? Like, like, did you do that? Like, how did you even make that shit up? Yeah. These were bizarre stories. I didn't realize that they were called that, but yes, I do know that this is what led to uh, reefer madness. And I think that guy was also like the, pastor of a church or something like that too right um i i know we led the fbi fbn not 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 uh anslinger but the other guy the publisher was he was such a douche i can't see him i want to i want to say that he was yeah because he was like preaching these uh these these things to to like churchgoers and stuff so yeah i think i 
maybe maybe there's another player but yeah there was one of those in there for that reefer madness bit so the two of those they published these files across newspapers across the country right they made they picked the word marijuana specifically because of its hispanic roots yep to associate it with brown people right and that was their this was after prohibition well fbn was built for prohibition so Anslinger's about to lose his fucking job. Yeah, so, what are they going to do now? So, oh, I need a new criminal to persecute. And that's, and Owen oh, Hurst says, I don't want hemp paper to hit the streets. Let's go after it together. Oh, 1937. Yeah, I think about that link. Yep. 1937, Harry Anslinger sat in front of the halls of Congress and he testified that a man named Victor Licata in Tampa, Florida, um, smoked a hemp cigarette and went in and was an axe murderer to his whole family. And 1937 is when hemp and cannabis became illegal. Anslinger had a public war with Billie Holiday. Sure. Billie Holiday has a song and it's actually real twisted. If you go listen to it, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically about why would you eat fruit from the tree that you've murdered? You've hung Oh, no, we were from. just talking about this yeah. song uh, on a couple shows ago. Uh, let me pull it up. I, I'm not going to pull the song up on because on, uh, rights and stuff, but I will tell you the name of it. Strange Fruit. Yes, yes. Strange yes. Fruit. So he sat in the FBI until the 1960s. So there is... I am absolutely convinced that he shaped the police brutality policies absolutely. Absolutely. and created systemic training for brutality because then after that, you have Nixon coming along, right? And there's a dude named Jeff Ehrlicher and there's a, um, I'm actually going to read the quote from my book. This, I can't, like when you, you listen to the quote, let's see if I can find it. Um, there's just like this brief period in time while you're looking for that there's this brief period in time when we had uh, Carter in charge and cannabis was off the chopping block for like that brief period but then you know he didn't he didn't go on to he didn't continue on so then the war on drugs started again so it started with nixon and then it ended for a brief period of time and then reagan came through and started it all back up again with his with his this is your brain oh i found it so the nixon campaign in 1968 and the nixon white house after that had two enemies the anti-war left and black people and this is a quote from jeff Ehrlicher. so this is documented you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or being black, but we could get the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalize both heavily. We could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know that we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. 
course. Yeah. So we we actually that was that quote. We actually read that quote on the War on Drugs episode too. I remember when uh, we were talking about that. And here's the thing: is exactly what they did. They went in. They played that plan perfectly. Mm-hmm. Right. They destroyed and and we had a whole three channels, y'all. Three channels saying the same shit every night. Three channels telling us the same shit about the same people in the same neighborhoods. Yep. Uh, Literally. It it was designed to scare the white lady. It was designed to scare scare the white lady. And divide. And divide community. You know, divide people. It, yeah, well, to scare, yeah, to scare white people in general, but yeah, definitely the white lady. Your daughters are going to go to those jazz clubs and smoke that marijuana and get pregnant and get syphilis and get, get syphilis, syphilis yes. get disease or yeah, the diseases mm-hmm. or get raped or etc. Et She's et gonna love a darkie, yeah. So yeah. they would I, say I, shit like that. They would say some crazy shit like that, and I think between Anslinger and the Nixon. They institutionalized police there's brutality. There's tapes of this. There are tapes. Mm-hmm. Of, there's, there's absolute definite proof of that. Yeah. Definite proof of that. But I I mean, the police, just to be clear, though, the police were created uh, uh, right, uh, right after the enslaved were freed. So um, the police, they were like, they were like freedom hunters. So they were hunting um, enslaved people that were leaving the South and going North mm-hmm. where they could be free. That's where the police were actually starting. It was just a band, a group of citizens. And then uh, eventually, you know, time goes on. They end up doing things like deputizing them and creating an actual police force. But it all started um, with the end of slavery. Yes. Um, You know, otherwise they were just like enforcing their laws on each other. Basically, Mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't bothering themselves with having law enforcement to come over because of, you know, somebody stole their chicken or some bullshit, whatever. Um, I don't know, but um, they weren't bothering with law enforcement until their workforce was released from captivity on paper. And then they band together to capture uh, enslaved people who were trying to make their way to freedom. And that's, that's where it is. And so, so to say, and then like we say police reform, police reform, but we, we can see on the, on the millions of news channels now that we have, we can see, um, depending on how, which one you want to watch, because some of them are quite skewed. We already know that maybe there's too much information now, but we can like literally watch them taking the kid who just killed nine people in a sacred house to Burger King for a meal without a fucking scratch on him. And like, like, so you don't need reform. You know how to, you know how to handle shit. Mm -hmm. I, I am not saying this as a brag. This is not a brag, but also I was in the Navy. I was a police officer in the Navy and I went through uh, military police training. Uh, They, I don't know if they still do military police training now, because a lot of it is, uh, is like, uh, uh, just uh, like preparing for uh, overseas engagement and stuff like that. It's not so much like going in, but still in when we have a police force on the base, they still have to go to housing and handle things. So I imagine there's some training there, but the point I'm trying to make is that 
I was never taught to mistreat a person that I didn't need to mistreat. I was taught to deescalate a situation through conversation if I could, right? And through uh, voice commands if I could, and to start at the lowest level that I could of enforcement um, for for um, handling the situation. So I would, like for us, we were taught to just go like one level above uh, for enforcement, right? If, if they're at this level, then you should like escalate a little bit just to be in, in control of the situation kind of thing. And we, we were taught all the things we were taught like arm bars and handling people like in close proximity, we were taught baton. We were taught, you know what I'm saying? We were taught those things and the, and our firearm was like really taught to us as a last resort, it was used like, this is a last resort. You will have to use this sometimes maybe, but it's a last resort. Um, I don't think there's any different training happening right now, but I do think that the institutions are allowing for things to happen and they're not holding the people accountable and they're making their whole police force look bad. Like, you got to hold the people accountable who are doing the actual crimes just because you're a police officer. Because you're a police officer, you are to be you're supposed to be held above reproach, which means that if you commit a crime, you knew better than to do that. And it doesn't matter if you're wearing the uniform and you can like I will tell you this. I will tell you this. This is just like full honesty and disclosure. Um, a couple of the phrases are problematic. It's better to be judged right but better be judged by 12 than to be carried by six that that is a common quote that we hear as military police or as people who carry a firearm for our job um things like that where if if you can explain it in court then you're good to go like you need to be able to articulate your case in court mm-hmm. right <clears throat> things like that are said to us so if i can explain it away in court cool and that's the mentality right but we have we have uh we have we have generational trauma because we sat in front of those tvs and watched that as for me as a white american watched that believed it for some time my friends were different that i had you know because i grew up in a kind of like an area where a lot of uh, military or retired military families were. So it was just like, I grew up next to uh, Latinos. I grew up next to black people. I grew up next to everybody. Right. But also I'm watching on TV that these bad things are happening. They're not happening in my neighborhood. So we're good to go. Not the people I know, but the bad ones on TV. Right. So that's what we were taught, that there are bad ones. There are bad ones of everybody. Of everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like my dad was a bad one. Yo, like what? Yeah. Oh, it's I grew up with it in my house. So like that shit, we didn't have cable and we didn't have TV. And that was in my neighborhood. So you know like, what I'm saying, though? But it's so infuriating. It's so infuriating. The, 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 the news was so convincing that I think it also convinced the community itself that that's who they were. We were just talking about child psychology and how when you tell a child 
that they're bad. You're such a bad kid. You're such a monster. You're such a little demon, right? They will, they will cater to that. They will become that. They will do the thing. They will always be in trouble. They will always be doing something that, you know, it, because that's the attention that they get. It's a psychological thing. And I think too, it doesn't matter for the, you know, I think at some point it doesn't matter if they do something good because they'll always be told that they're bad. Right. You know? Exactly. And, so and essentially they just believe everything mm-hmm. that they do good or bad is bad. Yeah. Um, so we see you <laughs> 419. Um, so, so with, with that though, then, then same thing when you go into, um, black and brown. Oh, it is 420. Your dog is alerting us to that fact. Uh, it's almost 420 on the West Coast. So <laughs> if you got them, light them up because her dog just got real excited about 420. They uh, let us all know. Yeah, right. <laughs> in, in about 10 seconds, I think. But what I was going to say about that, um, y'all light your blunts because I'm going to finish my point. But what I was going to say about that is that, um, when you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, then why not just be, then just be damned if you do. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about black and brown communities, uh, you will go to you will go to prison for this. You will go to prison for this. But you will also get pulled over for not having this, and you will be harassed for not having this. And you might be arrested for not having this. Right. So, so you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Right. So I feel like it's a little bit like they were so convincing that it convinced, it convinced everybody that this was a fact when in fact it was not a fact. Right. It was not a fact. It was not a reality in everybody's life. It became, it started becoming reality in everybody's life because of the way that people were treated uh even when they were not doing the bad things does that make sense am i making sense i mean yes yes because i <laughs> okay. i mean i obviously just use the same example so yeah um, yeah no no you absolutely did yeah. but yeah, yeah so like the i think it's like that part of that that trauma though like that and is it, I guess the question is that because we know, you know, then what do, how, how as a society do we change these things? You know, if we're all finally recognizing that mental health and uh, is, is needs to be discussed and that, uh, you know, traumas have been labeled and are now, you know, talked about, whereas before it was go drown it in alcohol, go drown it in drugs. And then you're, well, then we'll just talk about that. You were trauma, you know, Oh, you just had a bad life and you, you know, sorry about you, you know, uh, not that there were things that led up to the things that, you know, but I think we're generations from getting to that addressing as a, as a society, generational trauma for all communities. Um, there's been a couple times I want to talk about the opioid, uh, uh, and, Endem- endemic endemic i can't yeah. say it but <laughs> i well you I know what i was typing it. it i was typing it and still went to go into yeah i was still yeah. spelling it wrong and i was like um I, I do want to talk one. about that because i feel like it relates to what we're already talking about we talk about things like the war on drugs it wasn't just uh cannabis you guys it was like they went after they they like introduced drugs into these communities and then blame people for having addictions. Drug addiction is not a crime. I'm gonna say it every time. Drug addiction is not a crime. 
drug addiction is not a crime. People should not be in jail for possession. Not, mm -mm, no, sorry, no. For personal possession, people should not be in jail and in prison for that. Mm -mm, no, that's not a crime. Using the drug that, who is it harming besides the person? That's, I mean, like literally. Right. Um, now, so, if you go do some jackassery while you're on some drugs, then that, you're, then that's you're different. <laughs> then you, you I should be held accountable, but it is not. But the, also, yeah. we, like we should definitely address the the possession thing. Like lots of people are in prison for possession, for possession, nonviolent possession, and then they got mouthy with a cop, and the, the cop you you don't dirt, you, look you don't get respect for wearing a uniform. We are not in this night, not 1952. I'm sorry, Bar Barney, whatever the fuck. I, I don't know. No, that's not how it works. It's not. How, I don't have to respect you. That's not part of the law. It's not the law. Yes. Great terminology, MJ. Um, uh, but what the reason I want to talk about is because, um, you know, we introduce we I say we because I'm a white person. I'm just going to take accountability for all the people that did this bullshit. But um, we introduced these uh, drugs into uh, uh, black and brown communities, into poor communities and then arrested them for possession. Right. But now now rich white ladies are dying and getting sick and getting addicted and now we want to address how can we help you and how can we make sure that you get into the proper treatment, right? Because this is now like crossed over into a white lady problem. Um, still poor people and people of color get less attention for these things and are still targeted for being, um, for being bad people, for having an addiction. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about uh, that a little bit. I would like to hear your take on on that whole situation. Well, so <clears throat> I realized in the seventies and eighties that drugs were systemically leaked into communities to get them addicted. Right, right. That stopped circa day nineties, um, and then a. A uh, very wealthy white family came along named the Sacklers and they took heroin and they stuck it in a pill. <clears throat> um, and they got their study through the FDA in nine months and said it was not addictive and it was safe and started a public campaign to flood the market with opiates. I, when she says flood, you guys, there like there's a couple documentaries about this specific thing. Mm -hmm. There are there are little tiny cities in 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 West side of the states, right, that have this low population of people who are getting thousands and thousands and thousands of pills. That that there's they're getting so many pills that there's no way that the people in it like there's no way they're using them. Uh, as as specified there's no there's no way that they're not being abused like there's so many pills being sent versus how many actual people live in the community that i think that's what part of what got them caught but anyway sorry for interrupting go ahead you no know. that's okay west virginia there's a city there it was 800 times the population specifically that, yes yeah so what it looked like in my family is when uh, in the early 2000s, my stepdad got cancer um, and he lived in Florida and 
the way that they gave out oxys at the time is that they would send home um, my stepdad with a pill bottle with 120 in them at the time. Holy shit. And this happened for two years that he got pill bottles with 120 in them at a time. And it was safe and non-addictive. <clears throat> and that's so what the, if you watch Dope Sick on Hulu, yes. and that's say, one yeah. of them. Um, Netflix has a few mm. that have come out since then. Um, the Sackler family um, has been issued billions of dollars in fees to cases you can prove. Um, the hard part about that is, so in the case of my family with my stepdad, well, 120, and that was enough to get everybody addicted. Uh, yeah. Um, my mom, his baby mama, and then um, he actually gave my 14-year-old brother um, his first Oxycontin when he was 14 years old. But, and you get, initially you kind of get pissed, like, what the fuck was that guy doing? He gave a 14-year-old a fucking Oxy? But they well, told me it was safe. Thank you. They said it was safe. Because he's an authority figure too. Like I'm also like concerned. Like I want to see the doctors in these cases who knew what they were doing. Come on. <clears throat> but in the first five years or so, <laughs> I don't think there, I think there's doctors who knew, but I mean, there was rap videos about, they used rap videos of all things to convince doctors it was safe. And that's a lot of what, dope sick touches on is how you know now eight years in 10 years in yes i believe you and agree with you about the doctors the first year the first two the first three yeah the first couple years i could say okay maybe but i mean there's also signs of addiction that are very like prominent and clear when we talk about uh people who are even pharmaceutical addiction um you can start seeing some of those things as a as a trained professional I feel like the doctors were, uh, they were, you know, they were just in, you know, the I, I can't blame, is- I can't blame the doctors mm-hmm. for pushy salespeople. Like to me, that's, they were, I can, I can, because they, there's they, a whole they, movie on that with what's his face, Gyllenhaal. Like there's yeah, a whole movie on the prescription take, well, pushing. Like the- I mean, they take an oath and I, I hear what you're saying. Like they're salespeople or whatever, but you're also a doctor. Um, but I, I say like, ner- if, if you're going to, uh, I don't know if you're treating a patient regularly enough to like give them refills on their prescriptions, I feel like what the medical industry has become, uh, is an, is like a rotating door. So like so many people are sick and there's not enough people to take care of them that, it, that they're not, they're, they're not noticing the things that they need to notice that they should have noticed early on. No, they're throwing pills at them instead of helping them heal. They're throwing pills at them. And so they aren't, they aren't doing the other things that would keep them, uh, out of these, you know, uh, you know, out of these situations. I don't know. It's a, it's an awful circle in terms of, you know, okay. Yes. You, you would think that your physician is paying enough attention, but then we're talking about the different medical situations and the way that people are getting their prescriptions. Yeah, and they are recently now starting coming to... from the streets too, and that so. too. There's actually a statistic somewhere that I read that there is just there they 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 manufacture enough to cover the black market, y'all. 
It's not, you know, it's not like there's just this overage that's kind of going from the, you know, the market. There, it, it's actually they're manufacturing for the black market. Yeah, like so. So what you were saying is that your dad had enough pills to feed the family. Mm-hmm. Like, what do they think? They they knew what was happening with 120 pills. No, no, no. I I lived it, man. I was there. It. He was sick. He had cancer. He was in pain. You know, I remember being. 19 years old looking at my mom after she took an oxy and I didn't know what was wrong with her. Right. Like, because nobody knew about opiate right. addictions, then. what it like, was, what the signs were, I, what the, it was yeah. Christmas. And I remember like, she was like normal and then she wasn't. And I remember looking at her and I was like, and, I, and we've never gotten along and I hope she's not listening, but um, she might come back and find this and then whatever. But I remember looking at her and I was like, what the fuck did you take? Because it, it, we didn't know. Right. Like it was in the house. Like, like, you know, and then in parallel, right. There's somebody who the moment they take an oxy, they get addicted. And then there's somebody like me who, you know, I've had an injury and I've had a Percocet. I can never yeah. remember taking an oxy myself because I was always adverse to that. But like, I never wanted to hunt people down for Percocets. Yeah, but no, you know, I don't do dirty things for Percocet. So my baby brother's 14 years old and he starts telling me stories about going to school for lunch and he was on the school lunch program and it's 35 cents. And he remembers being so hungry, but didn't have the 35 cents, right? Well, how horrible is that? Oh, well, this is easy. There's a, a pill bottle of 120 there. Let me take 10 off the top and go get a buck each for them. Exactly. Right. And so it's a very organic situation to create a, his addiction B the black market scenario, because, you know, and I, I looked at my baby brother and I mean, he can describe to me the hunger that he felt. And he's like, and I remember him telling me, he's like, Shar, it was only 35 cents. And I did that. 35 cents. Are you kidding me that you're going to let a child like, okay, just on that point alone, Mm -hmm. if anybody hearing my voice is in charge of any of this shit, children should not have to pay for their food at school. Like, what Mm -hmm. are you talking about? They are children. You have already brought them into an institution to learn whatever the fuck it is you want to put in their brain, at least fucking feed them. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding? Well, and you know, so this is, in the early 2000s, well, um, my stepdad had cancer for two years. So that was two years of 120 pills, Whew. right? Two fucking years. And I remember my high school, I don't know whose dad had cancer in my high school, but like the class above me, which was the class of 99, all of them, something just became wrong with them. And it was like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? And then slowly that's when I first started seeing like the, the, the overdoses. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was like, but you didn't, you still didn't know. Right. Like you still didn't know what was happening. And then you got the sense it was like, Oh, it's the fucking pills. But like, you still didn't know. Were they mixing them? Were they doing, were they doing how many, blaming it on all the other things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, I think at the time too, it was a lot of victim blaming. Like my yes, brother became, a, my brother became an addict and I was so mad. How dare you, you little fucker? How dare you? But then I look back now and as an adult, when I talked to him about it and he explained to me how it happened, 
Yeah. Almost every addict that you know happen that way. got their first pill from a trusted source. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it didn't. And we were trained on the war on drugs. There was going to be a drug da- dealer that came in their alley and was like, do you want some dope? And that, that's, what that's they how they trained school. us, yo. That's what they just, told us was going to happen. Just say no. If that drug dealer not shows enough, up. Let me tell you, not enough of them showed up in my corner. Like, I mean, no drug no. dealers like that. <laughs> if you know anything about drugs, you know a drug dealer ain't giving their shit away for fucking free. Right? No, they're not giving you samples. They're, no, they're and nobody's giving your kid edibles on Halloween. I promise you. I promise you. That edible is way too much to give it away on I Halloween. I promise you. No. no. Oh, I promise you. Um, it's so interesting because, um, I feel like people started getting more serious about, um, what opioids were doing in this country when they, when they left the neighborhoods where people couldn't afford 35 cents for their lunch program and went into the neighborhoods where they're killing more you know, like now, like this, this wasn't just given to your stepdad, but this was also given to like Susie Homemaker up the street who has uh, some form of cancer. Right. And she lives, um, you know, and they, they have good health insurance and good, like they have, they have money to, they don't care about a uh, lunch program. Their kids don't eat lunch programs. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's when I think that people started like perking up and paying attention, as is the case. Well, I want to say that it it took, based on what I've read in the history, it took about 10 years for them to the police force and the doctors to finally catch on to what the Sacklers were doing. Right. Yeah. With these, oh, yeah. What, the West Virginia story with 800 times getting in and the, the Sacklers were so rich that. A five, was touching five, no, five million dollar fine. That's a price to do in business. Fuck that. That's that's five cents that oh some gosh. of us can't afford, oh right? Gosh. So <laughs> it's only been in, I would say, the last five to six years that there's been an honest crackdown. I think that's because of- the public started noticing it. Like, no, like, no, man, she wasn't like, like my sister is addicted to that. Like, this is the thing. And she got this from her dog. I think people started noticing that, you know, like the public wasn't, I feel like, I feel like, and I will always feel like this because I'm a Gen Xer and I just, I do not believe in the system. I don't believe in the man. I just, I can't, I can't, (laughs) I can't get behind that. Uh, By year three or four, the doctors weren't noticing that their patients were like highly addicted to this thing and, coming back from more and more pills and they were just giving them to them because also the pharmaceutical companies were paying them for whatever they were like, you know, they're selling. Yeah. They got, I'm sure it was a whole system. I, you know, like some doctors may have been a little naive to it, but I want to, I mean, a lot of them were in on it. A lot of them were in on it and making a lot of money and living in these yachts and houses. But the thing is, is that their wives started becoming addicted to this shit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I know the police force in my state is yeah. who picked it up in the state of Michigan to mm-hmm. hold the doctors accountable. There was definitely the pill doctors. You can search Good. and find lots of pill doctors. Yeah. Um. You know when I I you know I at least where I come from, it, it, you know, in the research that I've done because I've studied it very closely, it was definitely mm-hmm. the police force that 
you know, in my hometown, they went to the doctors and had a big conference and it was like, you guys quit fucking putting it in the system. Right. It's everywhere, you know, and I definitely, you know, there, there are doctors that did pill mills and then there's also the definition of pain changed in there. So medical professionals are say that they're used to, there's, you define pain on a scale of zero to 10, right? Yeah. And to be that a medical professional and a nurse puts you if you were at a three to four you were fine somebody lobbied to change the medical profession the 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 tolerance for pain to zero so (laughs) i mean it's all part of the lobbying efforts you get to have no pain whatsoever and then 45 that's just not a realistic thing well and so that's part of the reason that the pill mill doctors were justified in sending it out because by the medical definition of pain, they were supposed to get a patient to zero. And so how do you make the moral judgment between at addiction and zero? Because according to your oath, Yeah, but you get to know your patient. I mean, I don't know if you're treating your patient and giving them prescription pills. I think that you. But they're not. They're not taking that. That, That's the thing. They're not taking. They're not. They're just. They're just. Um, I always point the wrong way, but they're. They're not. They're just taking the money from the prescription drug. You know, there's a whole cycle of it um, happening. But they're just taking the money from the prescription drug pushers, and then they're not. They're they're milling their patients through. Not all doctors. I'll agree with you on that. I mean, it's not all. You know, it's never. It's never all. But a lot of doctors were like, really? And patients trust them because they're an authority figure. I don't. And doctors would have continued to do it had, you know, again, deaths not started to toll, you know, the rise. Um, And then, you know, now they are. They're looking at it a lot more in terms of the systems. They are, you know, like... and my practitioner is very serious about it in terms of how she, what she checks when a patient tells her what they're on, she runs them through the system to see how much their doctor's prescribing to them Mm -hmm. because it's on her to, you know, her qualification in lieu of, and yes. And and that's the thing is our, our practitioners need to be doing, you know, our, yeah, y'all need to be paying attention too. If I'm going to three different doctors because our healthcare system is bullshit. So I have to go see now a therapist is out. Like, so I'm going to see a therapist, but that's not covered under my healthcare, but whatever. Um, and I'm seeing, um, this doctor for this thing, the whatever we can go through the list. If I'm seeing four different fucking doctors, one of them has got to notice that some shit ain't right with me. Like, I, I mean, I, I think the two thousands, the internet was just born, right? There wasn't a big database of, to know how many doctors you were going to, you know, and then, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was there. I saw that shit. It's like, yeah, no, yeah, no, you know, know, like the, the physicians don't talk to the pharmacists. The pharmacists don't talk yes. to the other, you know, the, they're not, they should be looking at the prescriptions and saying this would be adverse to take with this, but they're not, um, Yo, you know, my pharmacist, my pharmacist did that the other day though. She stopped. Like I was just getting three pills. I was getting, uh, one was a Valium. And then, and then the other two were, um, to, I don't remember what they were called, but they were to basically, uh, knock me out for like a dental procedure as I was awake, but I wasn't awake. So, um, she was like, hold on, have you taken these together before? And I was like, um, I've taken these before for another dental procedure. 
but I don't take them together. I take them a day apart. And she was like, okay, I just wanted to make sure you were clear that these are going to knock you like, and I was like, yes, yes, we're very clear on that. Like what, what this is happening. Um, and that's good. And yeah, that's thank goodness that she does that. She did it for me. She does it for other people. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, and that's a, the example of the reform that's happened Yeah, as a result of the opioid crisis, right? Like right. these are reforms that have been put in place because those checks and balances weren't there. Yeah. And you know, I, I love hearing that that's happening because I can tell you in states like North Carolina, right? Deep South still, Ooh, old, white, there. old white fuckers running the place and no legal weed. I have an example of a person I know three years ago, their doctor intentionally got them hooked on opiates and then refused to withdraw them. Right. And so, you know, like. Don't give your doctor that much power, mm-hmm. y'all. Well, he had he had soldier surgery, right? Mm-hmm. So, what happens after soldier soldier surgery? Well, there's no weed in the state, so you have to have pain management, yeah, yeah. right? Like, and so, mm-hmm. you know, they're in those deep south states where that's still a thing. This is a crazy thing, you know. How is cannabis not legal, but like it's okay to get somebody hooked on something that that will literally kill them? This, like. This has been proven. We know opioids will kill a person if they take too much. We know this. What? Mm-hmm. It's because oh. it, go- it goes back to that story about a man who owns a newspaper made at making his paper out of wood as opposed to making his paper out of hemp. It's all about the money. you got to follow the money trail, right? So, well, and let's not. Okay, so how do you get off opiates? Oh, hey. Oh, we got this addiction problem. Let me create Suboxone. I don't know what you know about Suboxone. That shit's the most evil fucking shit on the planet. And literally, it's just a replacement for the opioids so that you're not getting the pills anymore and it's a liquid dose during the day. And that's where all these pain management clinics fuck. Is it like a controlled dose and then you have to like go into the And you have to piss. You got to take a piss test. And oh, then after so many days, and if you have cannabis in your system, forget about it. They'll stop treating you immediately. So that's real good. That that's real good patient care, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, yeah. that the, the Suboxone clinics were definitely created by the greedy ass doctors, right? Of because course. those are the ones that said, you know, and that shit was 13 bucks a day, right? Suboxone cl- clinics. But then now everybody ties this opioid crisis to the overdose deaths, right? There, the overdose deaths have exponentially increased since in the last three to four years, right? Last year was the biggest year ever at 108,000 deaths. They, if you listen to the news, all the Is that by state or is that by? Whole country. Whole country, okay, thank you. So if you listen to the news, these- opioid related deaths are despair deaths they took too much because they were so sad because they were stuck at home no they didn't okay sorry sorry so (laughs) what started to happen is so now there's this control factor on the Sackler family right and Purdue Pharma and there's controls in place on the pill farms to where they can't over prescribe so what they do is now our lovely friends outside of our country and other countries that like to funnel in illicit drugs 
have decided to start creating fake pills. And when they create Yay. the fake pills, they cut it with fentanyl. Of course. And now people the, are dying again from fentanyl. That is the actual cause of these 108,000 deaths is fentanyl poisoning. Mm -hmm. And now they're still busting people for weed. Fentanyl pills, fake pills are getting ushered in because all of our real pills are no longer on the street. Right. Yeah, fucking who? And I, can't afford, and I can't get a prescription from my doctor anymore, or I can't afford <laughs> to get a prescription from my doctor anymore. Mm -hmm. And so who's allergic to codeine also. <laughs> so now, and, and what you'll see, they finally, um, in September of last year, the FDA finally acknowledged it. It's, they issued something called the One Pill Can Kill Campaign. And I, I saw my first billboard this weekend about fentanyl, but there's not this massive public awareness campaign about how toxic every street drug is. Two months ago in Connecticut, the black market weed they were getting in Connecticut, people were overdosing because they laced the black market weed with fentanyl. See, this is when I would agree that we can call it illicit market uh, instead of underground market because underground sellers are not trying to hurt their people or their patients or their consumers. Uh, when you're lacing your flowers with some other bullshit, that is just to do harm. And those are very illicit um, circumstances. Um, you know, you could only feel that if there's another country that's funneling in black market drugs that kill a large percent of the population, that there might be some sort of act of terrorism occurring there that's not being yeah. addressed. I, I agree. I agree. You know, there's, there's some, yeah, especially when it's kind of, yeah. Like, uh, we talked about this when we talked about it, like the, the illicit uh, vaporizers too that are um, cut with things that you're not supposed to smoke and they're made with components that are not tested for things like lead and things like that. So um, that's why we always say, you know, know your grower, know your uh, dispense, source, you know, whatever, yeah. what, what your sources, because damn. And, and it, they're finding, I've talked to people in recovery and when somebody comes in, They'll tell you their drug of choice is meth or cocaine or opiates. And they're finding that despite their drug of choice, they're all testing positive for fentanyl. Yeah. So that so shit getting, is, yeah. is literally in everything. And there's not this fucking, there's not this, this large awareness campaign. And, you know, because I have this book out and I talk about this, I have my girlfriends that call me with their 16 year old kids and like, I literally was on the phone with my girlfriend the other day and she was telling me about something that happened to her son's friend. And I was like, you know, I really think that you should have your child carry around Narcan. And that's like, not a thing. Like in, and like, based on what I know and the number of overdoses that I've seen in the last two years, um, it's more than two hands. I can tell you here in Florida, it's a huge problem. We're port. I live in Florida. Two hands is what I can tell you about on fentanyl deaths. Your child should be carrying Narcan, right? Yeah. 
if you, I mean, if, you, if, if they're, to, yeah, if they're inclined it, to, you know, make choices and yeah, yeah, they need to be aware of what can happen. Absolutely. When I was 16, I fucked around with stuff, you know, I didn't try my first bump of cocaine until I was like 22 or 23, but like, but like, I mean, that's so, it's, yeah, that's what like, you do. It's what you, yeah, but now, but, now like, but now just weed, uh, weed is gonna, you know, could potentially be mm-hmm. laced with it. You know, when we're talking about a synthetically, you know, manufactured you, drug, it's as strong as heroin and, the, you know, and it's being used to replicate and replace. It's like, are like, what? Yeah, no, I mean, li- listen, you guys, literally know your source. Like, literally, if you didn't get it from a regulated situation, which we've already had this conversation about how regulated situation isn't always on the up and up either when they're telling us about flower recalls a year fucking later. But we could, God, don't get me started about that again. Um, but but if you're using an underground source, is that source your grower? Know your grower. Know where they got it from. Know your grower. I don't like when we go um, to uh, other places, I definitely have grower sources. I don't just have like a person. I can get you something. Okay, that's cool. But like, I know who grew this. I like know this person. Right. Um, and, and I pay extra for that. I don't. I don't fuck around, right? Um, So be careful out there because this is really happening. Fentanyl deaths are happening and people are Mm -hmm. like like not using fentanyl intentionally. No. I I mean, I've seen it so much. I have a name for it, fentanyl poisoning. Um, um, My, the reason that I was so pissed off when I wrote my book is my little brother was 90 days clean and sober. 90 fucking days and he went to an AA meeting and he got a volume at a fucking AA meeting. Oh no. That's the last place you should be picking up anything. And he it wasn't an opiate. He thought he was fine. He, he thought he was okay and he laid down and he didn't wake up. And he was 90 days clean and sober. So you know, the, mm. what I tell you, like, the rage it came from of how he yeah. got addicted, the racist fucking roots in it, the fact that this isn't addressed. I can go in Florida and they have these stupid public campaigns about cigarettes. And the newest one is that if you smoke, your legs are going to fall off. Fuck you. Like, you yeah, know? stop telling us lies about things. Like, like the yeah. part, of my, part of my part of my theory about drug addiction, too, is because. Like the first time you ever smoke any cannabis at all, like the first time you smoke cannabis, it doesn't do any of the things that the government co- said that it would do, right? And so if they're lying about that, then they must be lying about these other things. But in fact, some of these other things are like so much more harmful, but you lied to us about the safe thing. Well, and after my brother died, I remember like three weeks later of like when it all just like, hit me and I remember walking around my backyard on the phone and I was like, and they fucking lied and they lied. I mean, and it was literally this, I mean, it, you know, part of the title of my book is lies and I, there's four big lies that we've been told. But at the time for me, because it wasn't like he was, he was on something. He was clean. He was 90 days clean. He had made it out. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so there was like a lot of times that I expected the call and that day was not a day I expected it because he was fucking clean. You know, we made it through withdrawals. We made it through the shakes. We made it through like all the bad stuff. Right. You know, so the shock to the system, it's, so I published the book on the one year anniversary of his death. Um, and here I am, it's 14 months later and I can't, I still can't do this with people without this because it's like, that's how mad I am about it. That's how much it hurts. And then, you know, I hear about all these other people two weeks after I knew somebody else and then I know somebody else and you know, some of this is a Florida thing, right? Like right. the port is right here. And so it has mm -hmm. tremendously more that comes in. But I also found out the weekend that my brother died, the state of Maryland, I think it was, had issued a fentanyl warning. So there's some states that actually issue fentanyl warnings to like warn their population. And Florida is not one of them. And it's, like, it's almost like you can, like, if you know enough people and something bad comes in, you know, it's, it's a good month of just drop, 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 drop. And it's fucking crazy. Um, a girl that works for me two weeks ago, her sister with crystal mouth, you know, yes, her sister was a meth addict. And two weeks ago, and that was Michigan. And um, it's very, very real in my world. And yeah. so... You know, the I'm mortified that weed's not more accessible. Yeah, know? it should be absolutely, lady is, and that out. it's criminalized the way that it is. Uh, you know, while yeah, people, for sure. while people are prospering on it, uh, you it know, there's still sense. such a high contingency that don't have access to it and that like, are still in jail for people it. People so, who. People who made laws this. against it, who like made laws against it, who are profiting from it now that they're no longer lawmakers and, and put people and, in jail. Like you said, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And why are you putting him in jail when we had 108,000 young people die last year? 108,000 of people that, you know, arguably they throw them off as trash. They were drug addicts. They were this, right? Like they literally throw those people out in the trash. There is a motherfucker responsible for cutting it. There is a dude that sits there and fucking, you know, cuts that shit into the pills. Why are you putting fucking people in jail for marijuana or hemp if you go to Georgia, right? I just heard of some big hemp freaking so thing stupid. in Georgia when there are people dying from motherfucking fentanyl and there is a drug dealer behind it. I know how this works. And a government behind it. And a government behind it. Yeah, yeah it's, government. All, it's all funded. Yeah. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. It's all about money. It's all about who, where, you know, who's going to make money so if they can make money outside and they don't have to legalize it for everybody, but the rich can get involved and leave everybody else behind. That's what they're going to do. And that is exactly what they're doing. Um, you see politicians who rail against cannabis reform, cannabis legalization and I was going to say reform, but no legalization and then get out of politics and go own businesses, million dollar businesses. Like, what are you talking about right now? Mm -hmm. I cannot stand it. I cannot stand it. 
Um, we had a guest on the other day, which I intend to bring back, uh, Stanford. Hey, he's going to come back. He is running for, um, what is he running for again? Uh, uh public county council. It's a, it's, he's a public defender now. He's a public defender now. And he's mm-hmm. running for a seat that would help to create some of create these laws or have laws input on these it's, yeah so it's, um, we're, it's like a county commissioner but it's not i don't i'm sorry i'm right yeah well exactly uh we're gonna is. have him on again soon uh but uh where was that thought process going um he we were talking uh i've lost my thought process about it um mm. While you want to wrap around, I wanted to kind of use this as a segue uh, into another part of what you do, uh, Shar, about your cannabis business growth and yes. uh, the work yep. that you've uh, done in uh, big business and big industry and how you're seeing uh, you know, the cannabis industry as a fledgling industry still new and being uh, you know, fighting for acceptance. Um, how does this become, you know, while... Again, we're seeing lots of people make a lot of money on it um, while also seeing people being left behind and trampled. What um, mm-hmm. just want to kind of get some input from you there. Yeah, you know, it's tough. So so my consulting business specializes in getting cannabis licenses. Um, I have submitted for 160 licenses in the history of my career. Um, it's a lot. Um, California. Georgia, Illinois, um, California, Michigan, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Oklahoma, Utah. You know, I've been doing this for a really long time. Um, a lawyer taught me. I, you know, I quit my job. I met this cool lawyer, David Kotler. He's my mentor. Taught me how to write these apps, right? I was smart. I know how to write. And I've been very successful. I have had my fair share of, I don't work for any cure leaves of the world, right? I can tell you that none of the MSOs I've had my share of operators that are definitely bored with money and pay me to get all my license. And I do, I have also had um, my share of social equity individuals. Um, In my book, I actually do a piece on Betty Mitchell. She's a graduate of the Sacramento core program um, and is just this, Man, she's such a badass. Like, I just love her. Like, her family's from Alabama. She works as a social worker. She, you know, put up all her own money for her license. Um, And is one of the few social equity programs that I've seen that's, like, successful where, you know, she's thriving in it. And her story is beautiful because actually her her grandfather, or no, her uncle in the 1960s was a professor at a university in Alabama and he found a way then to extract the cannabis oil and turn it into a, something that's water soluble and would take it and put it in jars and pass it out to homeless people for pain management. And to me, it's such a beautiful telling story of the message of the plant because, you know, black and brown people, black people in particular in Alabama did not have access to medicine in the sixties and the fact that her professor, her uncle was that smart and that kind to know how to provide me- medicine to his community is beautiful, right? Right. So I do this big feature on her. Do I feel that um, big money is fair? I don't. 
I think it's such a bummer to see big money come in and, and eat up all the small businesses. Oh, I remember um, my point now, though. <laughs> Thanks for bringing <laughs> us back to big money. I'll remember it now. Go ahead. You know, I, I went to G4 Live this weekend in Las Vegas, and it was fucking kick-ass, right? And Snoop Dogg and Travis Barker and Mike Tyson and all these, like, players there, right? Leaf paid for the whole party like and they had this bud tender ceremony that was so awesome because that honored bud tenders and not like big money the mom and pops that were there as vendors were so awesome to connect with it was like such an intimate situation because the mom and pops were there mm-hmm. but it's i know who paid for the party you know and like i don't like that they paid for the party but man it was a good fucking party right <laughs> yeah you know, so it's it's super tough, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes you just got to make you got to be in the place to mm-hmm. make the social connections as a person of the industry, no matter who's throwing the party. Right. Right. Um, the industry, big industry is going to be there. Right. We know it. And so yeah, I guess take advantage of. But like there's things like what's happening in Missouri right now where a lot of these big money um, uh, uh, dispensaries were support are supporting, have supported, continue to support legal Missouri, which is really, really not good for um, Missouri as far as the uh, civilian population is concerned, as far as people getting into small business and cannabis is concerned. Legal uh, Missouri is not the way to go, but it is going to likely be on the ballot. Um, as opposed to a legislative option that was being discussed, but has yet to be voted on. <clears throat> so, um, which would have been more uh, friendly to to the individual as opposed to the corporation. Um, so we just have to like watch out to make sure that we're not supporting those types of businesses monetarily. They have enough money. Why are we going to put more money into somebody who's going to spend that money into a corporate um, regu- regulatory system, right? It's going to be good for corporate. It's going to be good for MSOs to come in, um, but not for the mom and pop, right? And not for the patient. So. And I think there's some states, and Missouri is a good example, where the, the only thing license caps are good for is big money. Because yeah. I, you know... I like California and Colorado because there's not the license caps in place. Um, Oklahoma. Depend, a, yeah, depending on the county, just to be clear. But yeah. Depending on the city. Yeah. A state overall does not have that. You're right. Chris. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have yeah. 800 something operators in retail, I think, the right, last right, check. Yeah. Whereas like Missouri gave out 193 licenses. Yeah, yeah. They're keeping it low. Yeah. And, and, and the only person who pays for that at the end is the consumer. And so I think states with these license caps, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Mom and dad Mm -hmm. can't get, mom and pops can't get in. The big money comes in to buy their way to the top. Missouri was an example of how corrupt that system was with the scoring. With their medical. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know a lot of people who uh, applied for licenses that met every checkbox for uh, social equity and not a single not a single one of them got picked up for a license which is absolutely asinine and insane um, and this new uh, proposal that's going to be on the ballot is not going to do anything to um, help Missouri that's for mm-hmm. certain yep 
Um, and once the regulations are in place, everybody, it's very difficult to change them. I like to tell people that because um, vote no, just just vote no until mm-hmm. they bring you what you want. Like just just I know that's a hard pill to swallow. I feel you on that. Uh, no pun intended on that. But I understand that. I understand that like cannabis is absolutely necessary to be legalized across this uh, nation, but also if it's not done right, it's going to hurt your community. It's going to hurt your program. Mm-hmm. And I always think we talk, I've been talking about this a lot lately. I think it's the feature, not the flaw that they create these programs that don't work. And mm-hmm. then they go, see, I told you so, but like you didn't give us the foundation for it to work. Uh, don't settle for less. That's right. Don't <laughs> now, they're, now they're blatantly giving you shit and telling you, you should accept it. You should so, take this because so you this should take you want, this right? shit. Like, eat, my get, sit, eat my shit sandwich. Eat my <laughs> shit sandwich. And so, um, you know, Missouri, mm-hmm. make sure like we, we've talked about this. We've had a show about this. We'll continue to talk about it as, uh, you know, as everything it approaches. Until, um, yeah. But reread and uh, understand that uh, legal MO is not for the people and uh, for the existing uh, legislation. So no. um, don't do it. Uh, review what you, was, you were told and uh, know that you were possibly lied to at some point if you signed that petition. Um, do not. Do not. Yeah. 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 That that part, too. If you're from Missouri and you signed that petition and they told you that it was uh, legislation from Ron Hicks, if they told you uh, that, that, you know, that it was going to benefit the people, if, if you were lied to in any way to get you to put your signature on that petition, retract your signature. You have the right to do that and you absolutely should do that. I feel like that's the next plan of attack right now as far as um, the people who are fighting against legal Missouri are concerned is that they're going to um, they're going to challenge the signatures. Uh, some of them were gotten uh, a lot of people reported this on like some forums that I'm, that I follow too, but a lot of the signatures were gotten under false pretenses under a lie on full lie. So if you feel like that was you, you take it back. And you know, some of the verbiage, it does sound great. It does sound good. Um, <laughs> but again, it doesn't mean that the whole thing is good and that everything in it is good. Uh, there are the, the things that, the, that, that good wording is overshadowing are the things you have to be aware of. And so we're, yeah. I think we're planning on trying to have Aoife and Ron on Again, again, yes, very uh, for an yeah. actual full conversation, we've been, uh, you know, we got to do a little impromptu, which was cool. And so, um, yeah, they came on just, uh, I was like, you want to come talk about the news today? And they were like, yes. And I was like, I love you. Thank it really, you. it was awesome. Um, yeah, it was very awesome. Um, I have, okay. So I don't know how you feel about social equity programs, but I have like, I'm, I'm a double-edged sword about it. Right. Cause I'm like, we shouldn't need social equity programs, but in fact, we do need them um, because uh, the system doesn't work that way where we just like uh, where equality have, happens have just by equality. itself. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to force equality. It's so crazy to me. Um, so, so uh, to me though, uh, these social equity uh, regulations are always such bullshit. They leave a lot of people out. There's still no, uh, I guess what we would call reparations. I hate that word because everybody has a negative connotation of it. But like 
paying the communities back that were affected by the war on drugs that you're like making millions of dollars off of billions of dollars off of now. Um, and the, so no social equity program is kind of written in that way where it benefits the actual candidates. Um, Colorado has this bullshit about how you have to like license with somebody with an existing facility, which is a majority, uh, white male owned, uh, industry. Uh, so, so I don't know, like for me, it's such a, such a sticky thing. I hate reading them and I hate hearing about them. What, what are your, what's your take on that? What do you think? You know what? Not everybody is meant to own a business. I, right? That's true. Right. Like all of it's written as a game. Mm-hmm. The white guy always finds a way to game it. I have seen plenty of games. Um, if let's take Illinois, right? The first 75 licenses. Giving 75 people the chance at running a business. It's not fucking social equity. Right. Like, and that's not even touching how fucked up the program was. Right. Like, like I could go down the whole list, but like anything that has like that small of a number attached to it, I appreciate the spirit. Right. It's not even spirit. That oh, was like, like what that Audrey, just is like the, the right, like what Audrey's <laughs> saying about what we we were just talking about, like, hey, at least we gave you something. I feel like the shit so, sandwich. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and if you can't get a license, get into ancillary. Oh, we'll give you a license for security work. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with doing so. We need security. We need uh we need ancillary businesses. But what I feel like is a lot is that that uh, these uh, clauses or a lot of the regulation, a lot of the cost associated with with each license, depending on which license it is. It's like uh, it's like a hierarchy, right, of what can you afford to get into the regulated industry? Oh, you can't. You can't really afford a dispensary license. Sorry for your luck. If you want a dispensary license, you can own one with that white guy over there. Um, mm-hmm. But um, if you want to own your own business, how about a security license? How about you be a delivery driver? You want to be mm-hmm. a delivery driver? It's like this mm-hmm. hierarchy of power. Again, there's nothing wrong. We all need a delivery driver. We need janitors. We need all of those. There's nothing wrong with those businesses. But what I feel but like- it's putting people right back down. Like, but yeah, yeah. But they're like, oh, you can't actually ha- like, like your people aren't be able to choose that. If that's what they choose, great. But make all of the licenses accessible to all of the people and let them choose what they're like. If I want to own a dispensary and I think I can run a dispensary, then I'm going to run a dispensary. Right. It's just like you don't have this in any other. I mean, there are other industries that kind of do this a little bit, but like a lot of industries, you could just get into business for yourself and just kind of do it, which uh, when people um, don't uh, don't qualify for regulated license, right, then they end up doing an ancillary business outside of the regulated market in order to get their piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like it should be more accessible. And, right. and not and, everybody's meant to run a business, you know, like I wasn't grown up enough to run my own business until, you know, mid thirties. 
We are in and, our 40s right now. But we have the <laughs> opportunity to do so. And without, you know, but also, uh, you know, again, as women, we would have some kind of uh, programming like, oh, we're a woman-run business. You know, people yeah. uh, look at it differently or give those, uh, you know, possibly. Not always, also, you know, I'm just saying. Also, we weren't allowed allowed into a lot of the spaces um, even in the beginning of legalization, uh, uh, women were uh, not not uh, common to see in grow spaces uh, before there was full legalization in those underground spaces that were providing. But also in during, uh, you know, even now you see this is a majority uh, male um, area of mm-hmm. the of the of the um, industry. Right. But women are, are starting to show their worth in there. We are gardeners. Yo, we love the plant. Um, so I'm going to listen, listen, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to pause for a minute. Cause I w- I'm just not, I'm just not, a, I wasn't going to address you today, but I, I'm really going to put you back in timeout. You got to stay on subject in the comments, or I'm going to put you in timeout because what you're saying is nonsense right now. Yeah, it's not on topic. If you are listening to what we're saying, like, come on, Uh, listen to listen to the topic and comment accordingly. Accordingly, Um, we're happy to we're happy to have these discussions. Um, We have had uh, discussions, so um, thank you so much. Um, Let's get back to (laughs) (laughs) what is the cake house? Can we we just talk about this real quick? You know, for the next time we visit California. Um, I want to know that. I'm intrigued. Yes. <laughs> hang on, hang on. It's I've got cake everywhere. My water bottle with my I love book. It. Cake house right there. Um, so in my consulting company, I have lots of clients. And I got a call in 2020. I was just getting back from a vacation. It was some dude. He's like, Hi, I heard you do applications. Yeah, yeah, I do. He's like, I want to open a chain of regional stores. And mute. Yeah, they all fucking do, right? Yeah, they all do. <laughs> and um, sure. He says, I've got three locations right now. Can you do the app? Yeah, man. Um, and I, I, I honestly, it was kind of like it was. It was a funny conversation because I literally like just back from vacation and I was unpacking, and so I was like just not ready to like be bidding work. Like you would think that I would be, but like, anyway, so I ended up um, working with uh, this individual. um, And um, one of the, that was our first location in Wildemar, uh, California. And we applied and we won. And this team just kept bringing me more and more properties. And I'm like, yeah, holy shit. Like, 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 you know, and if you know the realist, the, the game and licensing, it's all about your real estate, you know? Yep. A- and so I started working with them and that became the, the cake house. Um, in May of last year, I was asked to join their team as the chief operating officer. Nice. Um, it's incredible. Less than 10% of women are in the C-suite. Um, and I am. Um, and it, we went from um, zero stores to four stores now. We've gone from zero to four in less than 12 months. So we have a store in Wildemar, Vista, 
Malibu, and Needles, California. Nice. Uh, three of those were by acquisition. Um, and so where we bought it, came in, took the license over, remodeled it, and rebranded it. And then one of them, which was the Wildemar store, was a brand new build. Um, so the team that I'm with, they're, they're super aggressive. They're all guys. They're a great group of guys. They let me as a woman be in a seat in a position of power. They listen to me. They take my feedback. I get to do things like help design the customer experience and, you know, design the interior of the store. I make a lot of the big decisions in terms of the bigger things of, you know, I come from the corporate world. So it's the um, processes, it's uh, the future of our accounting. How do our point of sale roll up? You know, I, um, I have a badass buyer who's also a chick um, and she's from California. Her name's Gina. Like she's just totally, she's not on social media or anywhere. She is out there and she gets us like badass deals on tons of products and our stores are pretty decent size. So if you go check out our menu, we've got everything. Jeter, Jungle Boys, Stizzy, um, Noble Trees, Hollow Tips, um, Miss Grass, which is female owned, HGBC, which is veteran owned. Um, and we just have this crazy, crazy, amazing assortment, but we get really good pricing because we have four stores. And so we have the buying power. And I have this badass buyer, Gina, who used to, she actually used to work at liquor stores. So she's used to negotiating, yeah. came over from there. Um, and then our stores are meant to be like super fun. They're not meant to be hip hop. They're meant to be just a place where I would describe as you, you want grandma to come in. Yeah, you know, I, w- I don't want grandma to feel intimidated about coming to our stores. Right. So, um, so it's a little place for everybody. It's a place for everybody and it's fun. You know, like we have all these stupid jokes. It's like we're caking over. That's cake. <laughs> that's <cute>. got cake. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and so where can we find uh, your book? My book is available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, but Amazon's I guess the unfortunate go-to um, yeah. last week I published the audio version finally. So if you're not a reader, uh, the audio version is available. Um, and then uh, that's on audible and anywhere you get your, your audio books. And then I've actually discounted um, the ebook to 99 cents. Um, originally I had just done it for the conference last weekend. And for me, the message of the book is really important. And I've made the decision that long-term, I'm just going to keep it at 99 cents because I don't, you don't write a book to make money. You write a book because you have something to say. Tell that to the people writing books for college. Um. (laughs) $200 taxi. I I, I ain't that girl. (laughs) I know me neither. Um, Awesome. And so, um, so, well, let us know if you do, um, put that up on your personal website too, because we do definitely would rather send them to you than to uh, Amazon. But right now Amazon is the place to go. And mm-hmm. she, um, and she's on audible as well, or wherever you get your audio books. Um, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, I think we're going to start wrapping up the show. I want to let everybody know that the show is brought to you today and every day by queen kitty seltzer. Uh, Queen Kitty Seltzer, no sugar, no THC, 10 milligrams of CBD. 
and uh, and no vegans were harmed in the process of making the drink. Comes in fle- three different flavors: uh, bubblegum, lemon kiss, and we have a plain flavor that we are going to rename on the next round. It's going to be called Nearly Naked. You can find all of our social media links right now: solo.to slash Queen Kitty Seltzer. We are working on retail distribution, and we do offer wholesale. So please reach out and get in touch with us. Uh, very delicious. No yak in the back. Uh, hashtag pop this kitty. Uh, we also have CQ LLC Cannabis Consulting and Education, www.cq-llc.com. Customer service CQ LLC at gmail.com or 970-426-5985 to reach out to us. We would be happy to come in, um, help you with some consulting or educate your staff, whichever is uh, more your necessity. Uh, we were recently approved as of this year for responsible vendor training in the state of Colorado. Uh, it is a requirement for uh, delivery drivers and hospitality workers in the cannabis industry. So if you do need your staff trained on responsible vendor training, give us a call 970-426-5985. It's not a requirement for everybody else, but it could act as a mitigating factor to any administrative violations. So it is a good idea to have your staff trained. 970-426-5985 is where you can reach us. Uh, Let's see. Did I create a new King Palm code? No, I have not. I promise I'll have one by Wednesday. I know I keep saying that, but I promise. I just said it out loud. I'll put it on my list. It's going to be there. Uh, follow us here on the Canvas Closet on all of our platforms, solo.to slash Canvas Closet 420. You can reach out to us, Canvas Closet 420 at gmail.com. You can come hang out with us on Discord. All of those links are in that solo link. And catch us later if you couldn't catch us now or if you got a friend you want to share this show with. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, well, did I... Hi. Well, we didn't do our, our uh, history month. Oh, topics. we didn't do our history month. I don't want to leave without doing that. Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. Because we, we didn't get to do it the past couple times. So um, May is, in fact, uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander uh, aware- month. I don't know if it's awareness month. But uh, uh, being that um, most of the history or experience that's associated um, is is based in discrimination and, uh, and microaggressions. Um, so, you know, uh, it, but when we think about, you know, the, st- the assumptions about what, you know, who Asian uh, people are and what they can do, um, people kind of peg them into the science, technology, engineering, math, and martial arts fields. Um, though that is also uh, always not the same or whatever. Anyway, that's a positive stigma. That is also not always true because it could have negative connotations for the individual who is assumed to be all of those things based on their appearance. So I have found um, an ideas.ted.com article and it does highlight eight Asian American and Pacific Islanders whose uh, breakthroughs have changed the world as we know it. Nice. So we have uh, Peter Tsai, a PhD. He is a Taiwanese American materials scientist, um, and he uh, developed the N95 respirator. Thank you, sir. Thank you, that sir. was very, very important recently. Yes. So he and invented uh, operations yeah. and shit, too, you guys. Yes. Kind of. 
So it was originally, uh, you know, it was invented in 19 in the 1990s, uh, originally intended for industrial use and um, for like construction, construction. Yeah, yeah, construction, mining, automotive, uh, such Makes sense. Um, because of the occupational health and safety hazards. So, um, yeah, at the time, masks filters particles mechanically by trapping them in fibers, but Dr. Sai and his research team at the University of Tennessee developed the material with electrostatically charged fibers that pull the particles in. The N95 respirator proved to be 10 times more efficient than other masks, uh, putting its filtering capacity at 95% without making it harder to breathe while wearing one. Yeah. Uh, I feel like these were like super important um, during rescue efforts, like during 9-11 uh and in spaces like that where there's like a lot of dust and those those masks are super super important the mining uh you know mining mining collapses and uh incidents and um um, and and recently for for covid oh oh Uh, oh oh, in 2020 when the respirators were in short supply dr sai came out of retirement to study the best way to sanitize and reuse them i love this man can we do, uh, can we save this article and just do like one? Uh, yeah, couple? yeah. So yeah. that was, uh, and then we'll, yeah, we can use this for our Perfect. other. Um, Would love that. Dates, so. Because that, that's really like, I don't want to overshadow that because that's so important. Like right now, those mm-hmm. masks have been literal lifesavers for, and now he's figured out how to clean them and reuse them. That's beautiful. I love it. So it was um, it was patented in they patented it in 1995, and then a year later, the center, the CDC, uh, discovered that the N95 could also block viruses and bacteria. Beautiful. So again, just brought us uh, full circle to to, to uh, where we are now. And, um, Thank you. What was his name? Again? To save lives, Dr. Peter Sai, PhD. Dr. Peter Sai. Thank you, Dr. Peter Sai. We appreciate you. Thank you, Dr. Peter. Um. Tell us again where we can find you. Me? One more time. Yes. Oh, it, you can find me on Instagram. At, I'm Kalshar on Instagram. Um, that's my fun dispensary handle. Uh, professionally, I'm on LinkedIn. And so that's my professional place. Uh, I have a Facebook page. Um, and I'm always a phone call or an email away. So I really love to chit chat. And so anybody who... Uh, happens to grab a copy of my book. My favorite thing to do is to talk to people who read it um, to see how they connected with it. So, okay. I love that. Cool. That's yeah, you guys are we awesome. Talk, we man. talked about doing a book club. Maybe we yeah. should. Yeah. <laughs> we should put your book on our book club. We should do a book club. I don't even know how to do a book club. If anybody's ever done a book club, please tell me like how that works and what the structure looks like. Cause we'll, we will do one with y'all. We I would do a bu- I would do a book club with cool people to talk to about the book. Yeah, like, and then we could do like a like we we change. So our Wednesday shows are kind of like bantery shows or whatever. Um, they're kind of open to anything, so that could be like one of our segments that we would do on um, on a Wednesday. Absolutely, um, I love that. Yeah, uh, or or we could like you know twenty twenty two it and like you know pick a passage and talk about it for some, some book instead of like the whole book. Cause you know, the right. attention span. What like is this? this? There's <laughs> this commercial where there's like uh it talks, it's like a insurance commercial, like Geico or something like that. But the, one of the, what it's like talking about this woman, like how she's this mom and everything. But then like, this is her like 
her other personality and like she goes to the she goes to the book club and has the most to say and she hasn't even read the book and like <laughs> some stuff like that it makes me laugh so hard every time I'm like that would be so me I would show up like with opinions about something I had not even read <laughs> that's funny <laughs> just you know base it off the content listen to what everybody else is saying yeah you guys um, are a ton of fun <laughs> thank you you've been a lot of fun uh as as always everybody uh be kind to yourself be nice to yourself make sure you put your mask on uh your n95 mask on before assisting others yes yes yeah. um be kind to yourself uh cultivate love and uh bring it to you yes and you deserve it. Mm. Just like stay lifted. <laughs> stay lifted. Stay lifted, everybody. <laughs> we will see you on Wednesday. I don't have a guest slated yet, but that could change. And I'm uh, going to be working on May's uh, guest list now that I'm home and uh, a little bit rested and able to do that. So we'll have some new guests for you this month and for June. You guys, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much. Um, for coming through and and being our guest today and talking about your book i mean you you're amazing you're you're um, if if anybody needs any consulting um for licensing i would just say definitely reach out to charlena and and ask her for her help and um she's going to get you to a successful place by by what we've just had today i believe that and that's and heartily cannabis businessgrowth.com is that the best um, place for those that are looking for application uh, assistance Um, cannabisbusinessgrowth.com and if you guys ever want to get in touch with Mm -hmm. one of our guests but didn't catch the information on how to get in touch with them just reach out to us we will get you connected for sure we promise all right guys stay lifted everybody we'll see you on wednesday 420 mountain standard time as always we love you thanks for hanging out with us today thanks ladies